Hi, I'm Emma Kovacs, and you're listening to Epi Hour, a public health podcast where listeners submit stories of their personal health struggles. Each week, I invite experts to talk about the public health implications and the epidemiology of a disease or illness. Today, we will listen to the moving story of Razia from Pakistan, a now 21-year-old woman who developed an obstetric fistula shortly after the birth of her daughter at the age of 14. This obstetric fistula left her incontinent for years until she was finally able to access the care she needed to regain her life, dignity, and hope. An obstetric fistula is defined as a complication of obstructed labor that leads to a hole between two pelvic organs. This can include a hole connecting the bladder and vagina, the urethra and vagina, or the rectum and vagina. The hole that forms results in the uncontrollable loss of feces or urine. This definition has not changed over the years. So why is this not a bigger public health concern? According to the United Nations Population Fund, the persistence of obstetric fistula is a sign of global inequality and an indication that health and social systems are failing to protect the health and human rights of the poorest and most vulnerable women and girls. Today we invite Chizoba, a public health researcher in maternal and women's health, and Matthew, an epidemiologist with the WHO, to talk about obstetric fistula and why this is a public health concern worthy of our attention. Razia's Pakistani family held traditional attitudes towards women, leaving Razia without an education and married by her 13th birthday. She became pregnant soon after, but tragically her husband died six months into her pregnancy. Razia gave birth alone, except for a traditional birth attendant who was unable to care for her complications. She was in labor for four days before finally giving birth to a stillborn daughter. In the process, Razia developed multiple fistulas, which she lived with for years until she was finally able to receive surgical care. Chizoba, it's a pleasure having you here. After hearing Razia's story, our listeners might be wondering who's at risk for developing an obstetric fistula and where is this mainly a problem? Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Let's jump right into it. Since obstetric fistulas result as a complication due to obstructed labors, only pregnant birthing women are at risk for this condition. However, obstetric fistulas are largely a problem of under-resourced countries and disproportionately affects young girls and women between the ages of 10 and 19. We see that obstetric fistulas occur most in countries where maternal mortality rates are the highest, and these places include countries in sub-Saharan Africa, Southern Asia, and Oceania. Really? And why do obstetric fistulas occur? Obstetric fistula is a result of obstructed labor. Labor becomes obstructed due to cephalopelvic disproportion, which is when the pelvis is too small or the baby is too big for a successful vaginal delivery. If the baby is not able to successfully pass through the mother's birth canal, the prolonged pressure of the baby's head against the mother's soft vaginal tissue will result in reduced blood flow to the tissue. This leads to tissue necrosis, also known as tissue death, and the resulting effect is official formation. What are some other risk factors associated with obstetric fistula? The risk factors for developing an obstetric fistula are a combination of complex interactions of social, biological, and economic influences. The social factors include early age at marriage, a lack of family planning, the mother's level of education, and the social position of women within a given country. Can you explain the biological and economic factors involved? The biological factors include pregnancy at a young age, malnutrition, prolonged labor, averaging between 2.5 to 4 days, and prima parity, which is when a woman gives birth to a child for the first time. 
The economic factors include low economic status, lack of access to skilled birth attendants, lack of access to emergency obstetric care, inability to access prenatal care, and the lack of transportation to maternity clinics. How have the rates of obstructive fistula changed over time? Obstetric fistulas were once common in North America about 150 years ago when access to skilled birth attendants was limited and the quality of health care was low. However, as obstetric care became more clinically effective, scientifically grounded, and universally accessible, obstetric fistulas became a thing of the past in higher income countries. However, we have not yet seen this outcome in Sub-Saharan Africa, Southern Asia, or Oceania. Now for the second segment of our podcast, we welcome epidemiology expert, Matthew. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here to introduce these concepts so we can bring this very important issue to light. So let's get right into it. So my first question for you two is regarding measures of association. Relating to obstetric fistulas, who are the exposed individuals? What are the three measures of disease frequency and how are they relative to this health condition? The three measures of disease frequency involve incidence, prevalence, and mortality. Incidence involves new cases of a disease or health condition, and prevalence involves existing cases. And the mortality rate is the number of deaths in a specific population. Right. So for the incidence of obstetric fistulas, according to the World Health Organization, about 50,000 to 100,000 women are affected each year. How about the prevalence? The World Health Organization estimates that over 2 million women live with untreated obstetric fistulas in Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. However, since many women affected by this condition live in countries with low quality health care, this condition is deemed to be severely underreported. That's right. It's likely that these numbers are compounded by the fact that there aren't enough physicians trained to repair obstetric fistulas. Oh, wow. These numbers are shocking. Since the incidence and prevalence are high in low income countries, I would assume mortality rate is high as well. Well, because this condition is so understudied, it is hard to find a mortality rate directly from obstetric fistulas. However, the World Health Organization states that obstructed labor makes up for 6% of all maternal deaths. To add to this topic, unfortunately, many women with fistulas also suffer from mental health morbidity due to the loss of a child, the inability to fill the role of child bearer, and shame from constant leakage after they experience this condition. These factors can result in social isolation, difficulty finding work, or even being part of a family. Wow, this information and the statistics are heartbreaking. I cannot begin to imagine the physical and emotional toll this disease must take on these women. To continue on this topic, can you guys tell me about the risk difference? Well, risk difference simply involves the difference in risk between exposed and unexposed individuals. Exactly. So for example, the risk of the exposed group for women living in poor areas of Africa and Asia is 50,000 to 100,000. For the unexposed population, we can consider women living in Europe and the United States because improvements in healthcare help to eradicate obstetric fistulas. Thus, the theoretical risk difference between poor areas of African Asia and Europe and the U.S. is about 50,000 to 100,000. I want to add that if you ever hear the term population attributable risk, it is the risk difference at a population level. So that number is about the same because the exposure affects a specific population of women in low-income areas. Interesting. Does the place of residence affect the outcome of this condition? It has been found that women living in rural areas had higher rates of obstetric fistulas than women living in urban areas. More trends presented that women in rural areas were less likely to be married, have three times lower levels of education, engage in sexual intercourse at a much younger age, and be of a lower socioeconomic status when compared to women in urban areas. 
I think we can all agree this has been very insightful. For this next part, we'll be discussing measures measures of disease frequency. My first question is, how is this disease diagnosed? The manner in which an obstetric fistula is diagnosed depends on the healthcare setting, available resources, and the experience of the healthcare professional performing the exam. Most often, a pelvic exam is performed to identify the presence of a fistula. In terms of the research done on this disease, how is the population usually defined? So the specific cohorts of interest are usually fixed cohort populations. This means that no individuals can be added to this group once the cohort is defined. The composition of this population changes over time as the individuals die or drop out of the study. An example of a fixed population study is one performed by McCombie et al. in 2017, who defined their population as women in sub-Saharan Africa who had delivered up to 12 months before June 1st, 2016. The sample only included the women who fit the criteria and no one was added after it began. Also, the membership to this population is permanent since it was defined by having a baby within a specific date range. Let's shift gears into disease occurrence. We talked about incidents before, but I think it would be helpful to break down the two main types, cumulative incidence and incidence rate. Can you guys explain these terms? Cumulative incidence is the measure of the occurrence of new cases of disease in a population during a specified time period and involves the transition from one state to another. For example, not having an obstetric fistula to having one. In the same study performed by McCombie et al., they found a cumulative incidence of 0.0011 from 4,356 mothers at risk at the start of the study. This means that 0.11% of the population developed an obstetric fistula within 12 months. The incidence rate is the speed at which new cases of disease occur in a population and involves a transition from one state to another. Unlike cumulative incidents, time is a part of the denominator for the incidence rate. It is calculated by dividing the number of new cases, the numerator, by the total person time of observation in the population at risk, the denominator. In a study by Delamont et al. in 2017, the researchers analyzed fistula reoccurrence in, in discharged women in Guinea. The 481 eligible women were followed until they were diagnosed with the fistula or the study ended. During the study period, the incidence rate of a fistula was 71 per 1,000 person years. I really appreciate you guys using real studies to break down the terms. It is very helpful for people like me who are not experts on this topic. Do you two mind doing the same for the two types of prevalence, point and period prevalence? To start, point prevalence is a proportion of the population that has the disease, in this case an obstetric fistula at a single point in time. A study by Mayho Grail et al. in 2015 estimated the prevalence of fistula in sub-Saharan Africa using individual data records. They found that at the time the records were collected, the point prevalence was 1 per 1,000 women of reproductive age. In terms of period prevalence, it looks at the prevalence over a specified period of time. Right. And in the same study, they calculated that from 2005 to 2012, the period prevalence in sub-Saharan Africa was 3 per 1,000 women of reproductive age. This means that of every 1,000 women, three were diagnosed with obstetric fistula. Would you consider the occurrence of obstetric fistula an epidemic? An analysis of the person, place, and time of obstetric fistula reveals that there is an epidemic in lower-income countries. An epidemic is the occurrence of cases of disease in excess of what would normally be expected in a given area or among a specific group of people. 
The occurrence of obstetric fistula has been dubbed a silent epidemic as it primarily affects the most marginalized people in society and little attention has been paid to addressing this health condition. Considering everything we have learned, Chizoba, can you share what public health interventions can be implemented to improve the health outcome of obstetric fistula? Obstetric fistulas are 100% preventable and several public health interventions can be implemented to reduce the occurrence of this condition in poorer countries. To begin, the size of a girl's pelvic bone is considerably smaller at the onset of her first period. So educating communities about the importance of delaying childbearing for several years after her first period will help to prevent prolonged and obstructed labor. Additionally, Improving the nutrition of young girls can help to prevent malnutrition, which in turn improves the physiologic maturity of young mothers. Also, increasing timely access to skilled birth attendants during labor and discouraging unaccompanied deliveries at home is important in, in preventing an obstructed and prolonged labor, which can lead to an obstetric fistula. Lastly, educating communities about the harmful consequences of traditional practices that force young girls into marriage, deny them of an education, and undermine their social and legal rights is necessary in addressing the risk factors that contribute to obstetric fistula. Unfortunately, our time is coming to an end. I want to give a huge thanks to both Matthew and Chizoba for joining me on today's episode. Having both a public health expert and an epidemiology expert really helped simplify the topic and demonstrate just how awful and debilitating this disease is. I also want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Epi Hour. If you guys are interested in learning more about obstetric fistula, I will be posting several resources on the podcast website. See you guys next week.